that Mary was rather trying to make a statement of what she had watched since his birth. You see, Jesus, he was not like other children, and we know that. And Mary was able to have that first row seat to watch the years. Um, he basically was saying to her, I'm not just your son, Mary. I'm your Savior. And, and I want you to think about this. I mean, you go to when he was 12 years old, and remember he got separated from Mary and from Joseph, and they couldn't find him, and then they found him, and he was in the temple. And remember what he said. He said, well, I was doing my father's business, and that is why I am here as a matter of fact, if we go to Luke 1 and, you know, what we call the Magnificat and where the angel appears to Mary and gives her that news that you're going to be the mother of the Savior of the world. Man, what a shock that was to her. But remember her response. My soul doth magnify the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God. Listen for it. My Savior. She does not describe herself as a co-savior. As someone who worked along beside Jesus to bring salvation to us. But as one who needs a Savior. As she listened to the angel speak. It, it, she understood that she was to be God's vessel. She was to be the mother of God. But not God. And I love what she says after she talks to Jesus and his response. I love it here in the text. Um, you know, Jesus says, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. And remember her response down in verse 5. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. That advice is true for everyone who follows Christ. God, give me an ear that hears you. Make me aware of the Spirit of God speaking to me, Lord. When you have an assignment for me, make it really clear because I tend to be dumb and I miss it. It, it's so Mary is telling these servants, do whatever he says. Why? Because she knows who he is. She is aware of who he is. I, I love it as you go through the text. Um, you quickly see that she is fully aware of who he is. From that, that time when she was told, she, you know, you're going to give birth to a Savior. From going into the temple and seeing Simeon and Anna and what they proclaimed. Of course, the Magi who came. The angels who made the proclamation. And it said that she pondered these things. She thought about those things. And she thought about those things through years. She knew. But a Savior? No. 
I, I want to, just a couple of texts real quick. This is from Matthew 12. Actually, it's just the opposite of what the Scripture tells us, not that she was a, a Savior, uh, something else. Uh, in Matthew 12, the teachers that were uh, against Jesus, those listening, Somebody said, hey, your mother and your brothers are outside. They want to talk to you. And Jesus responded by saying, my mother, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And then he pointed to the crowd and he said, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. He did not put emphasis on his mother being divine. In Luke chapter 11, um, evidently someone was already suggesting to worship Mary Jesus' response, blessed is the mother, or, or the response to Jesus, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And he responded, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus says, why do you involve me? And that leads next to the moment. It's interesting here, as you go through the previous text, there is a real emphasis on cataloging the exact time. It says... Um, in verse 1 on the third day uh, you go back to 1 verse 29 it says the next day Jesus uh, John saw Jesus coming uh, in verse 35 is another indicator it says again the next day verse 43 the following day and then in chapter 2 verse 1 we're told on the third day so this emphasis on time and here in our text in verse 4 of chapter 2. Woman, why do you involve me? And Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. Five more times in the gospel of John, he says, my hour, my hour, my hour, and, and so forth. What does he mean by that? When he talks about my hour, he's talking about that specific time of his suffering, his death, and the resurrection that will follow. Just a couple of examples. John chapter 7, verse 30. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because the hour had not yet come. John 13, verse 1. It was before Passover, and Jesus knew his hour had come when he would leave this world and go to the Father. John 17, verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Okay, so we don't want to miss the point. Mary, Mary made the point, hey, they have no wine. <laughs> of course, Jesus responds, why are you in, involving me, uh, woman? I think this was far deeper than just the wine itself. I think in this statement, what she was trying to say is, son, I've been watching you. It is time. They need to know who you are. These people need to know why you're here. She had watched. She, she was able to see who, who he really is. And yet what she also had to hold on to was the gossip. And, and you know, it tells us through the scripture there were, you know, there were those that looked up on her in a manner, well, hey, when you got pregnant, Joseph wasn't your husband. And they looked at Christ in, in, in a way, certainly, as an illegitimate son. Um, this is from John eight forty. It says, 
As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the work of your own father. Here's how they responded. We are not illegitimate children. The only father we have is God himself. In other words, isn't it time to show them that although they have talked about you and this family in such a derogatory manner, that not only are you not an illegitimate son, you are God's son. The hour has come, son. Please show the world really who you are, exactly who you are. It's interesting, as you track this stuff down through the Gospels, 85 chapters in the three and a half years of his life. And of those 85 chapters, 29 of those chapters deal with the last week of the life of Jesus Christ. In 13 of those chapters, the final 24 hours of the life of Jesus, that last day. And in all four Gospels, 579 verses speak of the final day of Christ on the earth. That was his last hour. That was the cross. That was the suffering. But then we know also of the resurrection that followed. God's timing. You know, God's timing is always the right time. Sometimes we feel like, God, this does not feel like the right time. But it always is. He is in control. Uh, I love what's Spurgeon said, he put it this way, he said, There are no loose threads in the providence of God. There are no stitches that are dropped. No events left to chance. The great clock of the universe keeps good time and the whole machinery of providence moves with unerring punctuality. Now, I want to take a a few minutes and look at this miracle. Uh, Verse 6, we read about it. These six stone jars that were used for ceremonial washing, and now they're using them for wine. Each held 20 to 30 gallons. So Jesus gave the command, fill the jars with water, and they filled them to the brim. And then he said, guys, draw some out and give it to the master of the banquet. And of course he drank it. It's like, wow, you've saved the best for the last. That is not customary. Usually people... Are, are giving at the last the, the worst, hoping that they won't be recognized. But that's not what you did. It's Wine in that day was so significant at a wedding. There were a lot of people, the only time they got to have a celebration because they were so poor was at a wedding. They would come and they would share together and wine was symbolic of joy. It it was a way to celebrate and share together and have a good time. And so in the Jewish mind thought, if there is no wine at a wedding, it's like there is no joy in this wedding and in this union of these two lives. No joy in our community. Psalm 104, the wine that makes glad the heart of man. So there is this picture of we need joy here. (laughs) Jesus Bring the joy. And when the wine was made, we're talking 120 to 180 gallons of wine. And I love what Barclay said, William Barclay, not Charles. <laughs> anyway, no wedding party on earth can drink 180 gallons of wine 
This isn't Jesus just meeting a need. This is Jesus lavishly going way over the top, like more than ever you'll need, which all I can say about that is, what a gift. What a lavish gift. Because that wine was so good, even the master of ceremony said, this is good wine. It's so easy to skip over verse 7. It says that the jars were filled to the brim. In other words, man... When God does something, He doesn't do it halfway. He fills it to the full. He is a God who pours it out freely, His blessing. That's our God. Um, Jesus, here in Cana, He did His first miracle, His first sign. Um, it tells us in the text. In some of the apocryphal books, which are books that weren't included in the sacred writings but were considered, uh, there was writings of Jesus doing miracles when he was a child. Uh, there, there was one famous writing, a, a miracle, uh, that Jesus took a clay bird or a few birds in class and he made them fly away. But here, it's interesting. The text specifically says this was his first miracle. So those ancient writings weren't inspired. and Jesus wasn't doing a bunch of fun, crazy stuff to point to himself with clay. Fixtures becoming real. Uh, secondly, he did this because uh, he wanted the guys who followed him, the 12, to believe. Remember, we started this series. We actually went to chapter 20, verses 30 and, one, 30 and 31, where it says that, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. Why? So that they might believe Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing in them, they might have life. And that's, as we've mentioned, that's what the Gospel of John is really about. It is written to point to Christ so that we may believe He is the Son of God, that He is the Savior, that He is the hope. That's why we're here. That's why it is written. And at this point, as we've already been reading through John chapter 1, now in John chapter 2, there were only five disciples that have been called. Andrew, John, Peter, Philip, and now Nathaniel. And as I close this out, uh, I read an interesting point and I thought about it. Remember when Jesus had said one of the disciples, who do others say that I am? And some had said a prophet, and by that there are those who believed it was Moses the prophet. One as like Moses who would come. And what was the first miracle that Moses, or not the first miracle, but um, yeah, the first miracle that he, that he performed, uh, it was turning water into blood. Remember? The Nile River becoming blood, which brought misery. Compare that to Christ who took water and turned it into the symbol of joy. I, I wonder, at, at that wedding, if, if they thought about it, this guy has been called a prophet, and in their mind, he's bringing joy. He, he has come to make sure that the people of God may experience the joy of God, the provision of God. And, and guys, that, that is what Christ is about. 
And as he came, and as he did this work, this first miracle, this turning of water into wine, uh, Mary had seen Jesus in his purpose, and she wanted it to be made known. And Jesus has said, the, the hour has not come, and yet he still gave him a taste of joy. And you know, I, I think about that. Sometimes, we talked about this a little bit in Sunday school. You know, we talk about the kingdom of God coming. We talk about in Sunday school. And, and sometimes I look and I say, man, I don't see much of the kingdom of God out here. And, and you know, quite honestly, in my flesh, I'm fed up. And Jesus, why don't you just come right now and just take me out of this mess? Tired of it. But the truth is, guys, I'm always catching a glimpse of the joy of the Lord. He has blessed me in so many ways. Ways it's so easy for me to miss. And it's true for all of us. The joy of the Lord is our strength, as it says in Nehemiah, right? And Christ came, and, and even in that first miracle, He came to give us that glimpse of joy. What about you? Do you have peace in your life? Or man, is it just constant anxiety? Turn to the one who's joy. Let's pray. God, I thank you for a chance to be together, Lord. Father, to look at this first wedding in the scriptures, uh, the Gospel of John. And Father, uh, <laughs> to see that you came to bring joy. Not only this couple, but to those there. You still want to bring joy to us, Lord. And you are the source of that joy. And I just pray, Father, that we would not miss the joy of the Lord. There may be someone here who has never placed their lives in the hands of the one who brings joy of the Savior. Mary, the Holy Mother, she proclaimed Him as my Savior. And I pray that each one here is able to say, He is my Savior. And I pray, if not, that that would change right now, Lord. What a great time to just say, Lord, I need you. Forgive me. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Be my hope. So, Father, I pray whether there's someone listening online or someone here today. God, may we just respond to you, your gracious invitation, Lord. You, you want to turn our tasteless hearts into hearts of joy, Lord. And I, I just ask that, Lord, um, reveal yourself to us. Without your Spirit at work, we can't see. So, Holy Spirit, open our eyes. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Brian.